following episode is going to deal with a subject that may not be suitable for all ages. If you are squeamish or easily offended by a two-handicap shooting 96, this may not be the show for you. It's the worst round of the year edition of the award-winning Swing Thoughts. You know, it's funny. Um, welcome, everyone. This is a true story. I had a friend of mine on uh, Monday say to me, uh, don't worry, I won't tell anyone you shot 96. <laughs> and I said, well, you may not, but I'm going to tell everybody. Uh, we'll get to that. Welcome to Swing Thoughts. I'm Howard. Tim O'Connor's here. Hello. Good morning. Good to have you back in the studio. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, um, we've done the last couple shows where you've been on the phone. Yeah. And uh, we discussed that we both thought they were fine episodes and people seem to like them. But I uh, I like this because I can see you. Yep. I can uh, gesture kindly in your direction. I can see your piercing Blue man eyes. Yes, they are. And I'm wearing my contacts today, so Excellent. it's much more clearer. And you can actually physically indicate when I'm droning on too long. Say, just shut up. Oh, yeah, I've got some cards made up about that. <laughs> um, this program brought to you by TaylorMade Adidas. TaylorMade, indeed, the number one driver in golf. Uh, later, if I we have time, I, I sent a friend of mine, a high handicap, you know, 22, 18, whatever handicap to uh, TaylorMade. Had his first driver fitting ever. And I should play his uh, phone message. It was crazy. It was like, uh, I don't know, can, can, do women know how excited we men get about, like, our golf technology? If they did, they, the Cosmopolitan wouldn't always have, like, sex secrets to drive him wild <laughs> That's right. on every issue. That's a great point. Cosmo should say, you know, you know, you want to turn your man on? Get him an M1. Because this, this conversation my friends uh, sent me was just, he was so excited. Like, you, in only the way a guy, I'm sure this is the same for women, too, not to be sexist, but only in the way that a man can be excited about 15 new yards exactly. that he didn't have. I hit that thing off the heel and I know. look at it. No, and, and you know, it's funny, because we all know that eventually that new technology smell wears off. <laughs> but uh, for me, I've had the M1 probably longer than um, a lot of people. I got it last fall, and I still have uh, a lot of drives in a week where I'll go, wow, that went way further than it should have. Well, I played golf on um, Monday. Yeah. The guy I'm playing with is, holy, uh, kind of long. Yeah. <laughs> and he, I think he was a little surprised and a little bit... Uh, uh, not pleased. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not really thrilled about that relationship, and I'll get into that later as well. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about uh, a bunch of different things on the show today, including um, my little teaser at the top of the uh, program. I, uh, it, it's interesting. I, I want to get into it later because I want to talk about Brooke uh, Henderson first. Also, full disclosure for you Swing Thought fans. Tim and I are taping this on Thursday, June 16th. The first round of the U.S. Open has just started. Uh, you won't be hearing this probably for a week from today or sometime next week or the week that you're downloading it. So that's why we're not really going to be talking about what happened at the Open. Um, what we are talking about is what a lot of people were very, very excited about. Now, I have a question for you. When was the last time you ever purposely, and I'm being quite honest, like sat down and went, oh, I'm going to watch the LPGA this afternoon? Oh, boy. Um, you know what? I go to... Uh, Nancy Lopez and <laughs> wow. Nicholas. And what was her name? Nick, her last name was Nicholas, but anyways. And Allison Nicholas. Allison Nicholas from England. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. The letters are coming in. So you're saying it, it, it hasn't been since Babe Zaharis, <laughs> Zaharias or whatever her name is. Um, well, I, I, I was like a lot of Canadians. Uh, there wasn't whatever the PGA Tour, I think it was the St. Jude Classic, couldn't care less. Um, and no, I, I lied. Michelle Wee. When she oh, was, yeah, for sure. Yeah, when she was in contention for the U, and she won it a couple of years ago, that was must-watch TV. But there's something about being Canadian, um, whether it's Adam Hadwin. If you're a Canadian golf fan, you know, David Hearn in contention. You know, we last time we did a show, I think we were talking about Graham Dillette's uh, yips with his chipping. But I, I planned my Sunday. 
Uh, and it was neat because it was three hours they were playing on the West Coast. So in the early evening of Sunday, there wasn't much else on, and I planned around seeing how she would do. To uh, give us a little perspective, please welcome to our program uh, for the first time, but I, I, I think probably not for the last time, because he's got an interesting guy, and he's sort of the editorial voice of Canadian golf. He is the editor of Score Golf Magazine, Jason Logan. Hello, Jason. Hello, boys. How are you? Very, very well. Excellent. How often, uh, like the spring issue of Score Golf, this is spring 2016, you would have been readying this uh, when? Well, I think after Brooke Henderson won um, as a then 17-year-old non-member of the LPGA Tour last year in Portland, I think it became pretty obvious that come the first issue of 2016, Ms. Henderson was going to be on the cover. So um, we started working on that actually in December. She was up here for a Canadian Olympic Committee Summit downtown Toronto, so we arranged uh, for a photo shoot, uh, got some time with her, and then uh, started working on the story probably in February once I got talking to some folks and got Brooke on the phone for a little while. So certainly we knew that it was going to be uh, Brooke on the cover, and um, as I tweeted out when she won, out in uh, Seattle, there was no cover jinx for Score Golf Magazine because now she's a major champion. Yeah, absolutely. You must have loved that. I mean, and we'll talk about, I want to talk to you guys about your thoughts of her play, but as a guy that's in the business of media and, and disseminating content, it must have been, you must have been thrilled. I mean, really, you've got this issue that's out all over golf courses around the country, and there's the person on your cover. Um, the, what I wanted to ask, though, is because it was already available, there's no way to know or quantify did that increase circulation, but certainly increased interest. Well, I would hope so. I mean, you know, anecdotally, you know what I always do <laughs> as the editor of this magazine, once it comes out, and I know the magazine's been out for, for a week or so, I'll, I'll go down to my local golf town and I'll try and see how many are on the rack. And, you know, admittedly, there's some times where, where we will release a magazine and we'll go in and there's still quite a few on the rack. But literally a week and a half after the, the cover came out with Brooke Henderson, I went down to Golf Town here in Etobicoke and there was none. There was like two on the rack, which is, that always gives me a thrill because I think uh, it's testament to a good design, but also an intriguing story. And, you know, Brooke Henderson is obviously going to be a lot more famous across Canada now, given what she did. Uh, at the women's PGA, but I think even even still among hardcore golfers, um, just her story was starting to circulate. You know, winning as a 17-year-old last year, you know, going through the whole rigmarole of, of trying to get status on the LPGA Tour, being denied. And yeah, Jason, explain, get into that a little bit, because for us nerds, we all know the story, but there was a pushback from the LPGA about her lobbying to get membership yeah. as an underage kid, because they, they don't offer membership uh, unless you're 18 years old, unless you win. Well, that's that's right, and and, and truthfully, I, th I think the LPGA Tour was fine in its decision not to give Brooke Henderson membership because they basically have, have set parameters. Um, you have to be 18 years old to be a member of the LPGA Tour, uh, unless you're an exceptional talent. So, you know, if there's hockey fans out there, you can relate it to the CHL, a John Tavares, an Aaron Ekblad, whoever giving exceptional uh, talent status. Um, so you can appeal for early membership on the LPGA Tour, and we've seen players do that before, notably Lexi Thompson yeah. and Lydia Ko, uh, who were granted it. Uh, the difference with those players between, between and Brooke when she uh, uh, applied for it is she hadn't won yet. Um, and it was obviously that she was talented enough to be on tour, and it was obvious that if she did have to go to Q school, she probably wouldn't have much trouble getting her card. But the LPGA's position, I think, was, you know, if you're good enough to be on this tour, you'll win, and then she did. And I think they were fine in that decision, I really do, because I, I don't think you want it to be a slippery slope and then every single individual case becomes subjective. So if there is a 16, in Lydia Coe's case, a 15-year-old, yeah. Uh, or a 16 or a 17-year-old like Brooke was, and she's getting sponsors' exemptions into events, or she's Monday qualifying for the events, which is what Brooke Henderson did in Portland, uh, and she goes on to win, then it's pretty easy to just snap your fingers and say, okay, we're going to waive the minimum age requirement, which is what happened last year. So um, you were mentioning off the air, Jason, this is the first time we've talked. I know you and Tim know each other, but you have a 2-year-old uh, son or daughter. It's a daughter. Okay. I have an 18-year-old daughter. And a 21-year-old, and, um, and what I'm getting at, and, and you're, you have sons. Yep. And what I'm getting at is, on a similar age, 18 to 22. 20, 22. 
So watching Lydia Ko as a golf, I'm sorry, watching Brooke Henderson as a golf fan, and I want to talk about her play in a minute. When she was interviewed after the win, having watched her all afternoon as a golf fan, I was relating to her as a golfer. And then when she started talking, I was like, wow, she's like my kid. Yeah. Same age as Spencer. And, but very eloquent, articulate. But just the, it sort of broke the, not the, I don't even know how to describe it. Well, all of a sudden there's this little kid talking. And she was, I thought she did very well on the interview. But still, she was just a little smiley-faced kid. Exactly. Like, it's bizarre. She's two different people, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, I spoke to many people for that story in the magazine, and, and, you know, she's two different people. She's an absolute sweetheart. Absolute sweetheart. I mean, she's the typical, you know, daughter you want to have, the girl next door, you know, she's she's blonde, blue-eyed, she's pretty, she's smiley, she's, she's all of that stuff. But she gets inside the ropes. It's a whole different story. Yeah. I mean, she's not... You know, Nick Faldo, Tiger Woods, never smile, you know, stare stare right through you. But she's she's a tiger. She doesn't want to lose. She's not accustomed to losing. She's been winning golf tournaments since she was, who knows how old, five, six, seven. She won a professional tournament on the Canadian Women's Tour when she was 14, which actually broke Lydia Ko's record for the youngest person to win a professional event. So when she gets inside the rope, she is she wants to beat you. I mean, I can remember back to when she lost the U.S. Women's Amateur a couple of years ago. She had a big lead going down the stretch, and she let it get away. She was furious. I mean, that was an instance where maybe her uh, her youngness, for lack of a better word, kind of showed up because mm-hmm. she was so mad she, she didn't even want to give an interview until she collected herself. So, you know, she's out there to win. Um, <laughs> that's not unique to a professional athlete, obviously, but I think the special ones have this mindset that, and Tim can speak to this probably better than I can, these, these, the special ones have this mindset that it's win or bust. Well, Jason, before Tim weighs in on the middle side, I'll just tell you, having had uh, two teenage girls, I can forgive Brooke not wanting to talk about uh, anything after losing the U.S. Open. I can't talk to one of my daughters in the morning until I feed her (laughs) and give her money. (laughs) And give her money, yeah. Give her money and and let her know that it's okay to go, to stay out that night. I'm not looking forward to those those years in uh, 16, 17 years. Well, that's where... Coming, pal. Yeah, they're coming, and that's where drinking helps. (laughs) Yeah, and and, and when it comes, you're going to go, you know, I better call my old buddies, Howard and Tim, for some advice. Yeah. They've, been, they've been through this. Exactly. But I think one of the wonderful things about Brooke winning at 18, I thought it was great, the quote from Lydia Ko, is that she got beat by the only player younger than her. Mm-hmm. And, and she uh, did. And she did. She just got beat. I mean, Lydia Ko was, uh, Lydia Ko was playing defense. And there's nothing wrong with playing defense in a major, especially one where the golf course is that tough, because Tiger mm-hmm. Woods made a career of playing defense. Get the lead shoot 70 or 71 on Sunday, nobody's going to catch you, and that's what right. Lydia Coe was doing. Um, but Brooke Henderson happened to make a 100-foot putt uh, yeah. on the 11th hole, and then, perhaps more significantly, made about a 45- to 50-foot putt on the 17th. Right. And all of a sudden, she gets to 6-under, and Lydia Coe probably never thought somebody was going to get to 6-under. Sure. And then, of course, she misses that makeable putt on 17 herself. Yeah. Well, you know, those three, there's three shots uh, that define that tournament for me. One is the long putt on 11, which is just lucky and a fluke but hey, it, it happened and it went in. The one on 17, as you mentioned, that was a clutch. But what she did in the playoff, uh, hitting that shot, the the line she took, hitting it to two feet, that's who she is. Mm-hmm. You know, she wasn't playing for the fat part of the green. No, and I would argue that uh, perhaps even more impressive than the approach shot was her tee shot on 18. I mean, not 40 minutes before, she, and that's a tough-looking hole. I mean, that, yeah. that hole you know, that hole bends hard to the left. Um, so she's second in the playoff. Lydia Ko gets up and stripes one down the middle. Not 40 minutes before, Brooke had kind of blocked her tee shot into the right rough, and she stepped up and she absolutely ripped a hard draw over the hill, over the corner, to position herself in the left-hand side of the fairway for a right-hand pin. And she's swinging a 48-inch driver. I know she chokes down yeah. on it, so it's probably 46 when she actually chokes down. But she just gets up and rips it. And that's, that's Brooke. You know, what she told me for the story I wrote, she's, she considers herself fearless on the golf course. She's just, I haven't seen a player, especially in women's golf, who is so confident with the driver. Just get up and absolutely swing as hard as you can, and it goes down the middle. And that, to me, was the most impressive shot I, shot I saw 
uh, given that Coe was in the middle of the fairway and Henderson had, had just previously missed the 18th fairway. She didn't care. She just went up and ripped a draw in the perfect spot to set up that approach shot. Yeah, I think she had a bit of a burn her saddle because 18, uh, you know, in regulation, she pops it into the woods and then she chunks her, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to come out and then to, then to put it to 12 feet and make that putt. I mean, that resiliency is what's really setting her apart. And I, I watched her at the CPGA women's event uh, last year. She just has a way about her that she walks with confidence, upright posture. She, her, her pace is very brisk. Um, I mean, she's set for, for an amazing career. And what I really like about watching her around women's golf and for young people is that young people today, <laughs> this sounds such a, like such an old person, but anyone who's not within like five years of their age, they, they don't know who this person is. But 18, 22-year-olds, they know who Brooke Henderson is. Yeah, for sure. So it really bodes well for uh, for golf in this country to have a young person who's so personable, uh, who's got that nice mixture you talked about, Jason, of, of you know, she's cute, she's got a, a, a sweet smile, but man, she's she uh, likes to wrestle it really hard. Mm-hmm, for sure. I mean, I, and I, I would agree with you, Tim. I mean, I, I wrote part of that in my article, too, is, is you're right on the nail there. I mean, even even when I was a kid, when I was 10 or 11 years old, years old yeah, I mean, as a, as a hockey player growing up, yeah, I, I looked up to Wendell Clark and Doug Gilmer, but I looked up just as much to, you know, the guys playing Junior C in my hometown, sure. the 17 and 18-year-old guys, because you're thinking, oh, how, how cool would that be if I was 18 years old and I was going out and the, and the, the local arena was packed and people were watching me. Like, you look up to people who are not much older than you and that might be an advantage that Henderson's win has over Mike Weir's major win yep. with all due respect to Mike Weir because he was 33 34 years old at the time Brooke Henderson's 18 so if there's girls out there who are 10 11 showing that's a great point proclivity for golf I mean they're looking at a girl who's not much older than them winning on the world stage and they can relate to her a lot better than somebody who's 33 or 34 years old yeah um, golf's a hard sell to uh, to girls because it's such a social part the social part is, is such a key aspect of it. Well, and, and speaking of selling golf, this is the last point before we let you go, Jason Logan, the editor of Score Golf Magazine. It's available uh, all across the country, and uh, you got. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what, I, I know you've been putting out, there has to be some extra copies of the uh, the one with Brooke on the cover. Just react to this, both of you. Tim O'Connor, who's been writing about golf for you know several decades, and Jason Logan, who just came along, you know, some young upstart punk who <laughs> took over the magazine. He's been around. I know, but he's got a two-year-old. How old can he be? Oh, there you go. That's one of the things as an older, I think as older dads, I see people now and I go, how can that kid have a kid? He's only a kid. Um, React to this. I think the LPGA also was extremely happy and excited that Brooke Henderson won. And I'm going to say this without any um, editorial on on my part. There's so many South Korean women golfers and you don't think that a uh, blonde blue-eyed forget they you I, you guys watch this they they will go they will not go out of their way to mention she's canadian she's just the new face of non-south korean woman golf react uh, i think you're spot on and it's mm-hmm. you know it's it's a Sometimes it's a, a difficult thing to say. It maybe it's a controversial thing to say, but listen, it's been a long, long time, a long time since the LPGA Tour had a American player dominate the sport. I mean, Tim, how long has it been? I mean, we've seen Annika Sorenstam from Sweden. We've seen yep. Lorena Ochoa from Mexico. We've seen, you know, before Annika, we've seen Kari Webb from Australia. Uh, Sari Pack. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Sari Pack, I had this discussion on the Humble and Fred show. We were talking about this. I said, Sari Pack is the reason that so many great South Korean female golfers exist because the country, to their credit, by the way, I love what somebody said on the broadcast that the toughest team to make in the Olympics <laughs> is this is this the South Korean women's golf team. Well, sure, because if you looked at the leaderboard, there was South Korean women who were, you know, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th, and none of them had the Olympic rings beside their right. game because they're not yet qualified. They can't make their team. own team. 
No, it's true, and, and I and I think that um, listen, Lydia Ko is an absolute sweetheart too, and I, and I and I think the LPGA Tour has no problem putting her front and center. But I think you're right. Uh, you know, Brooke Henderson being a North American talent, uh, we've seen some talented American players who haven't really taken hold of that tour. And Paula Creamer, Paula Creamer, and Morgan Pressel, Stacy Lewis, Michelle Wee. Um, who's, you know, as marketable as players come, but, you know, on the golf course, she's just got the one major championship. Um, you know, Lexi Thompson may be the best best of them all to try and take the torch, but, you know, I think the LPGA Tour will be just if Brooke Henderson and Lydia Ko continue to go back and forth, and, and we're asking for a lot here. I mean, we've seen it one time, and we think it's going to happen every single time out, and it probably won't. But I think they would love for those two players to take the torch, uh, develop oh, a sure. rivalry, and, and off you go. Well, listen, you know, she leads the uh, LPGA in top ten. She's now had ten of them. I mean, she's a pretty consistent golfer. You know, uh, and again, this is the last thing. I'm, you know, we're so Canadian. I, I, you know, it's such a weird thing, but the last couple of holes... Uh, Brooke Henderson's done. So she's finished. Her score is posted 65. And Lydia Ko is still on the golf course. And it pissed me off. You know what I'm getting at? Because usually when a player's finished, their name, if they're tied for the lead, yeah. their name goes on top. Well, I'll tell you what. That's an interesting uh, point you raised, Howard, because and I actually tweeted this. Um, that being said... When Brooke Henderson was among a large group of players who were at two under par and two back of Lydia Ko at the time, fairly early in the tournament, uh, in the final round, seven or eight pole, she was on top. Yeah, I saw that. The pack that was tied for for second, even though there was players who were, you know, through 11, through 12 holes, and Henderson was only through nine. They had Henderson's name at the top, so it just goes to show you where what the the networks think of Brooke Henderson. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that kind of started with Tiger Woods. If Tiger Woods was tied for fifth and only threw six holes and somebody else was threw 15, Tiger's name was going on that first page of the leaderboard. Oh, no, Jason, I, I know why they did it. Because sure. Lydia Ko is the marquee player. She's on sure. 16. Brooks done. But really, and as, a, as a Canadian, I was like, what do you, come on, you guys. Come I was, on. You know, if, yeah. I was, if I wasn't so tired, I would have written something to yeah. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, they did, but they did have her first on the leaderboard among the players that were tied for second at one time. So, I mean, she's right next to Lydia, I think. And, and maybe at this point... Maybe the next time around it will be Henderson's name on top. All right, my friend. All good. Uh, Jason Logan is the editor of Square Golf Magazine, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll check in with you from time to time. We will. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I right. appreciate you uh, telling me off there that you used to listen to my radio show on the way to high school. Why don't you grow up, Jason? That's right. For God's hey. sake. How young are you? You got staying power. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. See you later. Yeah, that South Korean thing is, um, it's not a problem. It's a, a marketing conundrum for the LPGA Tour. Yeah. It just is. I mean, be, be, people be, maybe don't like to say it out loud, but it's true. Well, uh, when Carolyn Bivens was the commissioner of the LPGA Tour, she tried to bring in a, um, a um, obligatory English training for, for the Korean players. Mm. And uh, there was an uproar about it. And... Um, but it speaks to that piece, and I, I, you know, in Golf Digest and Golf World and different magazines, you see all the time the American writers are like, okay, where are the Americans, and why are they not, you know, why are they not prevailing? And it really comes down to the South Koreans got it figured out in terms of what they need to do in terms of development, and it also speaks to their culture, and it is a all-in culture. Well, exactly. Look at the culture that gave us Annika Sorenstam. And Henrik Stenson, in in I was trying to explain this to Fred on the uh, on the other show that you know because he asked a good question uh, he asked a good golf question why is it this country Canada with a similar population and and a cold uh, country cold weather country similar to Sweden where where why why didn't we produce that uh, that similar so well I think Golf Canada has taken some steps but uh-huh. you know the the South Korean Women's Federation and same with Korea, uh, Sweden they made it a concerted effort to make golf a priority for young women and men absolutely did they took it very seriously but it's also family structure in terms of of 
when you go all in, you, you make the declaration, if you will. Your parents will back you 100%. Oh, you yeah. better be all in. And there's, well, a lot of South Korean families sent their girls and boys to, uh, you know, core golf in Orlando and, yep. and, and Ledbetter's. Uh, they're, they're academies for children from all internationally. It's very expensive. But they're, as you say, they're all in and their parents will spend 60000 a year so their kids can become potential college players and pros. All right. So so a lot of them obviously have come to the top uh, that they dominate the tour, but at a huge cost though. A lot of these players burn out way too early. Yeah. The um there's a lot of really tough things that go on in the families. Uh there's a really good piece in um I love this section in Golf Digest, um, Undercover Tour Pro. That's yeah, it. I and, love that. And usually it's with a guy. This time it's with a with a, a woman uh, player, and she says that in a lot of of these of these tight knit families, it could be other cultures too. But there's just like it can be really stormy. Mm-hmm. You know, the the, the the kid never talks to the parent, and you're talking like twenty year olds. No, so. I know, and there's not. Yeah, there's a dark side to it all too. Absolutely, but. Not to take, but there is the same way. There's a dark side to hockey parents in Canada. You know, lots of hockey. There's lots of very fractured, dysfunctional hockey families, and I'm sure it's similar in golf. Oh, it is in golf in Canada. That's my favorite feature in that magazine. And we never talked about that. I love that. Oh, it is great. And because because you know, basically, you always wonder like who is. Who is this person they're getting to say? Basically, it's an anonymous article. And the, the tour players, you know, shit-talking the other tour players, you know. I love that piece. That's really great. So um, we got a couple things uh, we want to get to. Uh, I've got some uh, Swing Thoughts uh, listener email. Nice. From uh, a big fan of the show and a really funny guy. He's one of the funniest people I know. I always say to him, you're one of the funniest citizens I've ever met. His name is Al Martin. And he's a big fan of golf. He's a very fine player himself. And he's written a couple of questions he thought I would throw out to you. Sure. Well, let's take... You know what? He's got a Ryder Cup question. I think I'm going to save that for when we get into the Ryder Cup later in the summer. But here's a question that the average player will... Well, that's, uh, a preview. that's a preview for our right. Ryder Cup our, our special. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We're going to be doing a huge Ryder Cup special. We'll Don't have, you worry. <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have Graham McDowell yeah, it'll probably, be the, probably taped that we stole from somewhere <laughs> that's else. That's right. But it'll be the envy of all the golf programs. What Ooh, are we talking about? Did you hear Swing Thoughts is doing their Ryder Cups? I never miss it. Uh, anyway, this is uh, an interesting question. Most people that play golf, you know, from time to time, play for a little money, a little Nassau, a little fun, little partner game, whatever. And he, uh, Al's question is this. Uh, let me see if I have any um, appropriate, music, appropriate, appropriate music for Al Martin. <laughs> Dear Swing Thoughts, here's my question. The game within the game, writes little Al Martin. I'm going to snuggle up to the radio right now. What is the psychological effect of playing a money game while playing the real game? And he goes on to uh, illuminate. He says, uh, we play 18 holes trying to score. How does playing a money game within that larger game affect our mindset? Do we lose focus if we are losing our match or get too excited if winning? Maybe we are playing well and miss a putt to lose a hole and let our partner down. Like, you know, you're maybe you're having a good game, but you miss a putt and that loses the partner hole. Right. Can our brains separate the results of the money partner game from our overall game? So just to uh, maybe... Give us the Paddington Bear uh, <laughs> well, simplification. Yeah, you know, what, what he's trying to say is, and I kind of get it, you know, it happens a lot. If the, the best example would be you're playing your men's night where you're playing stroke play. And like a lot of guys at this time of the year, you're trying to get your doubles match in or even your singles match in. Right. You know, I'm, the group I played with last night, you know, the two guys I played with, we were just playing a threesome. Uh, they were playing a match. But because it's men's night, we all have to hold out. There's no giving putts, but there's good for the match Mm -hmm. kind of things. Like, you know, that's good for our match. And I think what Al is asking, it's it's interesting, is that, you know, 
How do you balance both of those? Because you were, let's say it's on a, you're just playing a little money game with your partner and you're trying to score as low as you can, but you know, you're also having to be responsible to another and responsive to another person. Uh, mental performance coach, Tim O'Connor. Well, I would always defer to, uh, I think you play for your partner. That's, that's always what happens in those, in those deals. To me, that's what the money games are about is it, particularly in partner games. It's always about the partner. So, so if like, you're not you'll playing, you'll put out a turn and stuff. I, I would say screw the. But if you're not, the, but if you're not playing like the men's night scenario, you are still trying to score your ball for your own men's night. You have to. I get that. But if you're just playing a, a game outside of a tournament, you're you're sort of. I guess you're saying that maybe the the thing to focus on is the money game or the partner game and not your own score. But as he's saying, what if you're what if you are playing nicely mm-hmm. and um, you're trying to balance. Playing your own score versus okay, what? How's our team game coming along? I would always defer to the team game. That's more fun for one thing. Uh, you're playing with somebody else. It's the ups and downs, and that that's the fun part of a of a game like that. But also, what his question infers is that we're we're mindful of what our score is. Uh, thinking about score is never a good thing to me. I mean, you can be aware of it, but the attention has to be on something else. He says, can our brains separate the results of the money slash partner game from our overall play? And it's interesting that you answered that because I would have predicted you would have said, um, and this is the problem with assuming, I would have predicted you would have said something like, it doesn't matter which game you're playing, you're trying to you know, play each shot as it comes regardless and irrespective of what's going on in terms of the mechanics of whatever little game you got going. Team play is completely different. In team play, I'm always boosting the player I'm with. I'm reacting. I'm trying to have a... We're trying to win. And so there's a lot that goes into it. You have to talk about your strategy. Something goes on. You might go for putts that you wouldn't if your partner's already in the hole. Or Absolutely you, you right. Know, he's, he's, got, he's made the safe par. You're going to drill something for birdie that you wouldn't normally. All of that. Yeah, that comes up a lot. You know, and it's funny because he also has a, uh, a Ryder Cup question. Um, We're not going to scoop our Ryder Cup preview, are no, we? No, but he, but he, he kind of... Um, he kind of asked an interesting question of why is it why do why is there so much pressure? Why do the Ryder Cup guys feel so much pressure? They're not playing for their own money. They're not. There's nothing. Is it? Be, and he says, is it? Is the pressure so? Because guys will talk about the Ryder Cup being the most pressure they ever play under. Hundred percent. Why is that? Playing for country. Anytime you don, uh, even though you're playing for Europe, which is a, a weird thing, they come together. They're playing for your team. Right, they're playing for your team. Again, so it's the same thing, I think, when you're playing just a, t- a team game. There's a bond that happens, and I think that's why it's And you so feel responsible for the, the guys and men and women you're playing with. Yeah, if you're just playing an individual stroke uh stroke event it doesn't doesn't carry that much weight it's just you but if you're representing your country your teammates your buddies these are the guys you're with all all week um yeah they come together in a really magical way and i think that's why the europeans totally dominate this thing which they've come to do because they they just tend that tends to be um well they talk about not being able excuse me Pardon me, not being able to take the club back and, you know, that first tee at a Ryder Cup is like they feel like they're going to, you know, crap themselves. Throw up all over the shoes. No, and that's why it's so great. But uh, it's it's the playing for country uh, that I think is the, the, the key part of it. But also, but playing for country and playing for your fellow you know, playing for your team member. Yeah. There's just something that comes with that. So, uh, friend John Gordon, I always love, he's, he said, he'd like to set up alternate shot for couples that are having like a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> That'll really prove you've got it to oh, stay yeah. together. It's like doing a kitchen. <laughs> yeah, alternate shot in golf for a couple is like a rental project. You see, you get to see how uh, compatible you are after it. Um, I played. No, a lot. I like this shade of brown. Yeah, no, that you always get your shade. I, I've um, I've been lucky. I've played a lot of uh, team golf. I played a few Ryder Cup, a bunch of them actually, a few Ryder Cup style tournaments. And there is something about being somebody's partner and feeling like you're all working together for something that takes you away from sort of the. You know, regular golfy golf stuff, but I've played a few alternate shots. There, it's the toughest thing you can do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who wants? 
Who wants to leave their partner some kind of like a downhill three footer type of it's the worst slidey thing? It's like, um, you know, it's just oh my, I'm you know, sorry. I mean, sorry. I know that uh, you know one of the things you know, you know we'll always say when I'm playing partner golf is like, listen, let's not. Let's no. Don't have to apologize. But you do. What you do, especially an alternate shot, because you know you've just driven it behind a tree, and you're like, I'm really sorry. You're going to be chipping out. Um, Exactly. Oh um, man. Okay. Well, there's Al Martin there. Thank you. If you have questions for us, you can leave them on our Facebook page. Yes. Swing thoughts on Facebook. Um, Thank you, Alan. Yeah. Both Tim and I get uh, access to that, and so if you have some questions, that would be great. Uh, in our final segment, and by the way, I apologize about this room. Freddie and I have been talking about we're moving our studio, and we've figured out, like even you've been clearing your throat, because yeah. this room has got so much fine dust. We're right above a printing company, and what we have figured out now is oh, yeah. there's uh, because they're constantly spitting out you know, um, mechanical microfibers. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. You can make um, pants of it, too. But. Microfibers. Um, so I'm trying to figure out where I begin with this um, piece. Because people know that Tim's my friend and also uh, used to be my mental performance coach until uh, I introduced him to Mike Bondi. And now I can't get Tim on the phone because he's like, oh, I can't talk now. I'm at Bondi's hot tub. <laughs> Was it, did we say this on the show or off the show about the picture of Dorian Gray? <laughs> off. Okay. So I introduce Mike Bonney's a fine golfer I play with at uh, Glen Karen. And about three or four weeks ago. And one of our sponsors, right? Glen Karen? Oh, Glen Karen. Not Mike Bondi, but. Glenn oh, Karen. yes, Glen yeah, Karen. Yeah. There's never been a, to- a better time to play Glen Karen. Absolutely. I keep forgetting that. Glen Karen. And I was at Men's Night last night. They make a big announcement. Our logo's on the scorecards. It really is something else. Ah, man. Like, we didn't have a logo. Now we have a logo. There we go. Like a year ago, we we're just sitting around having lunch at Glencairn. Now we have a logo on their scorecards. Wow. Craig Capito. Nice. Shout out to you, Nick Murph. Nick's a good boy. Love you guys. Richard Stark and all those guys. James Boyce. Um, So. I still hate some of those fairway bunkers, but that's for another day. They're just dumb. Man, I just. You know, I don't really like the sand there in general. Uh, It's very Scottish and thick, and it's. You know, you get these face. What are those called? Those are those rattan bunkers where the. Oh, oh, uh, oh. Oh, almost. It starts with an R. Our fans, reverse. Riveted. Yeah. Rattan. No. This is like password for idiot. (laughs) This is our new game show. It's golf password for old people. Rattan bunkers or. It's where they lay the sod on top of the sod. I think that's called rattan bunkers. And we're such over 50 guys. We don't have our nouns, you know? Talking about buddy. I talk about this. Yeah, it's called rattan bunkering. Yeah, okay. So, anyway, here's the thing. So, I introduce, uh, well, I didn't introduce him. Basically, I'm I'm talking to uh, Bundy to, uh, what's his name? (laughs) Bondi. I'm talking to Bondi. And, uh, you know, he's not having a very good time of it. He's not playing very well. And then I get a text from Capito who says, Can you give me Tim's number for Bondi? I go, Sure. And at the time, I believe I said to Tim, we were talking about my game, and I said something to the effect of, I've never felt more confident in my golf game than I do at this moment. Then I texted your number to Bondi, and when I hit send, Bondi's game somehow infected (laughs) mine, and it's like the picture of Mike Dorian uh, Gray Bondi, because Bondi has done nothing but... Like, he's having, like, he's won, like, three tournaments in a row. He's shooting even par. And I just get worse and worse. It's like a golf horror story. It's unbelievable. I saw him last night. I'm like, Bondi, get out of my freaking head. (laughs) Anyway. But, you know, it's funny. uh, Perspective is everything. I've looked back at my last two and a half weeks of scores. And other than the one score that we're going to talk about, yeah, I'm shot like 74, 76. It just seems like... You know, golfers can relate to this. You know, it's like a stock. Either it's, you know, going up or going down. It never stays the same for very long. You know, that old golf thing about, you know, you never really own golf. You just rent it for a while. Yeah. So I am definitely in the, on the valley of the peaks and valleys of a golf season. You're ready to sell it. Never yeah. mind rent yeah, it. That's good. I'm going to ready to put my game on Kijiji. <laughs> there should be golf Kijiji. Where you just take my game for a couple of weeks and just, you see know. What, see what you can see do. What you can. 
give it back to me. See how it goes. Take it for and and slap it. So, uh, but this is a great, great endorsement of Tim O'Connor. Well, because this fellow Mike Bondy, who is a great guy and a very fine player, and actually he was is a great coach and sportsman. He coached this team I was on last year, and he coached us to victory in an interclub team game, very similar to the Ryder Cup. and And Mike's a great guy to be around, but was having some trouble with his game. He started working with Tim, and in the last couple of weeks, he's been really, really playing well and really getting what you're saying. Yeah, well, talk about it, son. Oh well, toot your own horn. <laughs> well, thank you, but so so I will say that uh, Mike, it, hell of a guy, great character for sure, but a very good athlete. And mainly, what we did in working together was just bring some more of that athleticism. So that he could just take advantage of what he's got, because he's really good hand-eye coordination as a as a great baseball player, and I noticed that in his swing. We played at Galt, a wonderful golf course, Galt Country Club. So shout out to uh, to, to Thack and all those guys there. But uh, I really noticed it was the first time I'd played with uh, Mike in maybe about ten twelve years. Uh, he just has this great ath- athletic swing in his hands, just rip through the ball really well. Mm-hmm. So some of the work we did was just allowing him to just take advantage of, of that by doing some things. We talked about it on, on uh, a couple of weeks ago with Al Trivet of just some drills so that it's just reacting to target hitting the ball, allowing it to happen more than making it happen. So mainly what we worked on was that element of trust and commit and he's committing to his shots he just he's you know on the on the greens uh he just sees the line the speed gets up over it and boom lets it go Mm -hmm. and it was hilarious at galt i think he might have had seven one putt greens five birdies i think and he goes i can't keep it out of the hole yeah what's that like (laughs) because uh you're not experiencing that i'll tell you what it's funny because um last night I made uh, 10 pars and, and eight bogeys. Made no birdies. Mm-hmm. And of those eight bogeys, you know, six of them would have been eight to 10 footers that I would make a certain number of them. I'm a really good medium length putter. And all of them missed by uh, a, a few inches of pace. Like they all looked like they were going in and just died off. Died off. So yeah. they were good putts, uh, but they're just not going in. Mm hmm. And um, but for Mike, who's on the other side of golf right now, they're all going in. Everything seems easy. But I started this by saying, do you, you remember me saying that to you, that I've never felt more confident? And then three days ago, I never felt left less com- confident. But congratulations to you and, and, and the work you're doing with Mike. And it's a great testimony uh, and testament to what you can get from working with Tim at, O'Con- at O'ConnorGolf.ca. So I wanted to say that. All right. Well, th- thank you very much. Um, but not helping uh, me. Okay. There's no <laughs> not helping me anymore. I don't get any help. It's like, oh, hey, Tim, can we? No, can't work with you because Bondi and I are going to a movie tonight. We're, I go, Tim, can I get? No, Mike's on. Hang on a second. Sorry, Mike. It's Howard. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, no, I'll get rid of him. No, it's fine. I told you I don't love him anymore. Please continue. What were you saying? I'm just doing a little sketch. I'm doing yeah, a little Carol Burnett sketch for you. Yeah, that's very good. I, mm. Is this where I become Tim Conway and like laugh yeah, uncontrollably yeah. Sure. And, and just can't get it together? Maybe I should have just, I should have gone into my, uh, my uh, Larry David. You know? What? I can't get, uh, I can't get you to, used to be on my, we were a team, now it's you and Bundy. Anyway, go ahead. What do you want to say? I'm Harvey Corman, I think. No, um, yeah, so, so thanks for that. Um, but, Golf is an up and down game. So Mike's a good player. Um, so he's just accessing some things. And you know what? It'll the the magic will wear off for Mike and he'll come back to it. Uh the same way it'll come back for you. Golf's a cyclical bloody game. Mm-hmm. It just happens that way. And so the things that were going really well for you, there's something that's not it's not going so well anymore, obviously. Yeah, but because I can't break an egg. No, but what tends to happen is that still, you know, you're 55 years old. Six, so, right? 56. 56. Okay. Egg. So there's there's five decades of behavior and patterns sure. you've been following. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you you know we worked together. You had some some uh, some new insights, some new feelings about what you were doing and incorporating them. 
but you still got five decades of behavior and ways of carrying yourself and responding to situations that is not going to get overwritten by a new program that you learned three weeks ago. Okay. And I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to make this about that, but I don't totally buy into what you said in terms, because it wasn't three weeks ago. I've been working on this for a long time. No, no, but the, I, yeah, you're right. You're yeah. right. The, the, what I got with the time was not right. But what tends to happen is that our old patterns just come back. Absolutely. Because, and that's why, you know, in trying to make a swing change, like, you no, know, I know, I know that was a whole other thing, but I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but you're right. Um, and what I was going to say is the higher the stakes the more you're going to default to, you know, lifelong behaviors. In my case, um, and I apologize. Did you want to finish something uh, telling me about behavior? No, no, I'm okay. good. I'm good. Let's move on. Because right, it's all about in service to you. No, I'm I here, mean I'm sorry. I'm so here get, for you. I'm pretend, here. Are you, you. Pre- right now? Are you I'm looking at me but pretending I'm Mike Bondi? <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I'm just, you, know, to, you know, I'm just look, kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. I know you are. But I I'm do a, a comedy-based program. I do get that, <clears throat> but I'm a professional. I know. I'm here are. for you now. Do you feel the empathy? Yes, Doctor Fraser across? Crane. I do. I'm listening. I'm listening. Um, you do that. So thing. here's what happened. I uh, about three weeks ago, I was uh, I played around a round of golf with. Um, a guy named Alf Callahill, who's been on our show a couple times. Great golf professional. <laughs> Great golf professional. One of the best teachers you'll ever find. Rattlesnake Point. Rattlesnake Point. He and I played a round of golf there with a couple other good players. Alf shot 70. I shot 74. And just striped it all day. But I was a little bit... I'm not, I just hit my driver all... I hit like, I don't know, 12 fairways and 12 or 13 greens and, you know... Didn't putt great, but shot a couple over par. And at the end, I said to Alf, I said, so what do you know? Because I've got a bunch of tournaments. What do you see? And we started talking about uh, some stuff in my swing. And we went and hit some balls. And I started to dick around with some stuff. And I told you about this. And what it did is it started to bring me out of target acquisition and athleticism and commitment commitment and trust all that stuff that and i know you you said three weeks but we've been first of all i've been on this you know train for a long time you and i you know people i I think we should full disclosure tim and i talk every day we i joke with tim about being my coach we really have had like a 20 minute session this year but we talk golf all the time Mm -hmm. we've only played one round i think this year too no, two. Two. Yeah. So after the round with Alf, I started working on some stuff with Alf for a couple of weeks, thinking I could do that and still play golf. And I'm looking at my scores and, you know, I'm looking at that rattlesnake point round and it was 74 and I've had a couple of 74s since then. And then you can see them start to rise. There's an 80, there's an 82, you know, tough day. And then there's a, another couple of 75, 76s and then they start to go up. But the, 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 how we began today's show about shooting 96 in a tournament, it was all just wiring. It was all just... All the things that you've ever experienced, and I'm saying you listening, have ever experienced where when it's going poorly, it all just went poorly. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a weird day, but uh, in, in a way, I, I knowing we were going to record this week, what I did is about, I'd say halfway through the round, I started to text you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I can't do anything because I'm driving my car and my and, and Sandy's my <laughs> wife's going... Uh, you got another text from Howard. <laughs> and so, um, so full disclosure, Sandy's reading me the text. And that's going, great. And I'm going, oh my, this is not going well. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not in a position really to, to respond. So every once in a while I would have Sandy here, just type this and give me a sympathetic word if you can help me here, hon. <laughs> so, I mean, I, 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 I want to read some of these texts, and I want to say in advance that I did this for a reason. Obviously, I thought it would be some good content, but in a way it was cathartic because when I, and, and we've all had this experience. Again, this is on my schedule of, you know, 25 tournaments I'm going to play. This was one of my most important. I actually thought I could win it. And we had a good chat a couple of days before about getting you ready. Getting me ready. Attention and What focus. was I going to do? Yeah. But again, 
you know, that pattern of still thinking about your golf swing and still thinking about this. And the National, as most people listening, you know, no, it's one of the toughest places to play. I mean, I played there for very many years, and I can tell you that when things start to go sideways there, you're going to shoot a number way beyond what your a bad round normally is. Like, I'm looking at my average score. My average score for this entire year is something like 75.9, almost 76. So for me to shoot, a, a bad round for me is 82. Yeah, yeah. And I know, I know you always say a lot of people would love to shoot 82, but it's just not a great round for me, score-wise. But 96 is a whole other level. And I know the, what I did want to, I want to say this before I start reading the text. The old Howard Glassman, that would have been 116 because I would have stopped trying yeah. a long time before I got to 96. Daily-esque? I would have just been that guy that just starts hitting it everywhere. But I, I uh, tried very, very hard. And my sort of the archetypal or quintessential example of how hard I was trying on my 13th hole of the day after shooting uh, 11 over. No, was it 35? 13 over on the first nine holes I played. So I'm 13 over on the front nine. A par 35, a 48. On my 13th hole of the day, I lost two balls on a par 5 and made a 35-footer for bogey, <laughs> and I fist-pumped. <laughs> I did. And the guys I was playing with, they were, like, so excited for me. It was like, oh, look, the funny old fellow is just... <laughs> He's, he's just made a bogey. Good for you. They were talking to me like I was a deaf animal. Good for you, Howard. Good for you. I'm so happy yeah. for you. <laughs> I made five pars in the whole round. I made my last par on the 15th hole. I finished double, double, double to shoot 96. <laughs> on the 15th hole, I made a par. They went, good for you. Did they talk to you that you were such an inspiration? Well, funny and you that- say that. Did you have? Did you tell me you had a bowel movement that morning? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You've done so good, Howie. You should be so proud. You should be so proud of yourself. I was. I'll tell you what I was proud of. Um, I played a lot of tournament golf, and I've been a uh, a very bad competitor uh, in tournaments years ago. And then I was. I wouldn't have been a very nice person to be around. Both of these people, both good players. One of the guys I played with finished third. Mm. So I totally made the roundabout not affecting him because he was Absolutely. a good player. Yeah. And both of them, uh, not only did they shake my hand and say some nice things at the end, but both of them at the dinner walked up to me separately and said, I just want to say something. Like, that was pretty neat watching that today. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, we know what you were going through. We've all gone through it ourselves. And a lot of guys in that position wouldn't have been as much fun to play with. And I thought, you know what? Mission accomplished. Absolutely. And we've talked about that type of stuff before. And in, in that is, if you don't identify with that, I know there was parts of you. I mean, one of your texts was, you know, <laughs> how do I go to this dinner without oh, like, yeah. well, taking the steak knife and just <laughs> lacerating my oh, wrist? Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Don't get me wrong. I was... Yeah, you felt bad about I it. I felt bad. Yeah. I, uh, you know, we all say, uh, I, I made a point of... Uh, being a good competitor, I'm playing a tournament that means uh, very much to these two fellows, too. And if I start going sideways and throwing clubs and swearing, it's going to affect their day, and that's not fair. Right. They didn't, you know, start bogey-bogey quad. Um, I made that about, I said, I'm going to make it about them, and, may, and, and being, I'm going to pretend I'm shooting even par, is how I thought to myself. I'm going I'm to pretend right now, even though I'm 16 over, that I'm also, I'm the same guy I'd be if I was shooting even par. Very present cheering them on good putt great shot um whilst texting you what i've really felt um but both of them that outlet for you both of them uh were complimentary to me i'm trying to remember where i was going with that um i think it was well let me just jump in that so what you bring to it was get around to it is a maturity Really. And young people can have that kind of maturity, too. Mm-hmm. And that is just an awareness that the, the world doesn't shine out of my orifice. That's right. And that there's other people in this world. And that in many ways, you probably unconsciously even occurred to you things that we've also talked about the show. It's just golf. Yes. And it's just one day. It's and just y- one day. And yeah, you, you know, you strive, you work on your game more than anybody I know. And it means a lot to you. But you've accepted that the game 
You said you don't own it. You rent it a little bit. And the game doesn't owe me anything. Right. The National doesn't owe me anything. I know what I was going to tell you. Not I, I, Once I realized this wasn't going to be a great day for Howard Glassman, scoring-wise, I uh, actually made a conscious... I was going to say, yeah, because we all swear. Even even in my you know zen you know mastery of love and four agreements state, I'll still swear after I hit a bad shot. I don't give it a lot of... But I made an actual conscious effort to say, gosh... And not swear at all because I thought if I start to swear, it's going to open a door that I don't want to go through. Right. And I made and I and I was very conscious about that. I was very careful not to let it not to let the demon out because if it if I if I did, I could have just gone completely crazy. And I thought that was a good thing I learned that day. And you have to be a golfer to understand this. Yeah. That, that inside you is you just open that door just a crack the, with the uh, the with the axe and the mohawk haircut <laughs> <laughs> and the chains through everything. He's going to come out and he could do some serious and, damage. And it's all it's happened to all of us. Yeah. And I it's happened to me enough that I knew that if I and it was funny that I made a real effort about and not saying any swear word. I because I know myself. And I thought, if I start down that road, I may not be able to stop it. Yeah. And, I, and I wouldn't. So here's the first text. <laughs> I, we teed off at um, 12.50 was my time, 1 o'clock. So we were a little bit behind. It's now 2.31 p.m. I've been on the golf course for seven holes. I type, wow, period, seven holes, period, two quads, two three putts, one double. What a great game. <laughs> he says, uh, or Sandy? No, no. no this should be now a, I realize this would be Sandy. Wait, the, I'm the, texting the, your wife. <laughs> yes, exactly. She, um, she, she really likes you, by the way. <laughs> I, I, apparently, she does. She said some nice things. She says he's very vulnerable. She says, uh, "Love your perspective." I said, "Perspective is all I got." I go, I, I let it, I let it alone for a bit. I cite something about it. my fellow competitor just remarked on my good attitude and sunny disposition. <laughs> Little did they know. Um. Uh, you say something like, it's a drag, you didn't play well. Uh, I go, 12 holes now. This is now 3.44 p.m. I go, 12 holes now, more doubles and three putts and awful swings. And then I, I sort of started to reflect and, and text you um, about how I was really feeling. Mm -hmm. I hope you're enjoying my journal entries as much as I am writing them, <laughs> I say. Cathartic, really, and they're a distraction from my wounded inner child. Because to be honest with you, fellas, I felt wounded. Oh, yeah. I felt... Like, sort of like a kid. Like, ah, why is this happening to me? Aww. At a golf course where, you know, and just to add some perspective on potentially being humiliated, this dinner at the end of the round is like 120 guys and your names uh, up in this, the scores are there and all my buddies are going to be there and the younger guys I play with and they all shot good scores and I'm thinking, huh, I got to go there. I got to put on a jacket. My name's on the wall of this golf club as a former club champion. Exactly. So let me let me just go ahead in here. So I think golfers can really relate to this. If you've grown up at a club or you're a member for a long time, you've got all kinds of memories there. Sure. Like, you know, wonderful times. Uh, you know, pro the best memories are just probably just being with your friends and having a good time. And so to go back to a course and to play particularly in a tournament, um, you, there's a lot of there's a swirl of emotions going on, a lot of thoughts. So, and that's one of the things I love about our program is that we allow we go into these cool rabbit holes that uh, every I think most avid golfers will go through. And one of those things is is that feeling of like. Oh, crap. Why is this happening to me? Being sort of helpless and, and feeling vulnerable and, and humiliated and disappointed. And all of that. But yeah, but yet you're an adult and you still have to keep it together. I and, know. And, you know, yeah. It's as much as I didn't want to. You wanted the pony and all you got was manure, but. You know, I wrote to you a couple points. I said, it's, I'm, it's like super embarrassing, but what are you going to do? And then you told me, you know, go to the dinner, have fun. I'm like, I said, I know I'm going to do that. I said, but I'm feeling pretty sorry for myself, to be honest, but I'll pretend to be fine. And hopefully I'll be believable. <laughs> because, and again, I, I, I don't mind reading these to you because I was very, I was, I felt very, very exposed. But at yeah. the same time, like, you know, what am I going to do? I, I, you know, I was there with a bunch of guys I'm friends with. There's also people at the golf course I know and like, you know, and, and it's just a number. Yeah. You know, and um, 
I did try. You know, I, I would can safely say that on about 90% of the 96, I tried. There was about 10% where I did the, uh, I'll just finish on my third putt, my third three putt in 14 holes. Mm-hmm. Or no, I'm sorry, five, fifth three-putt. Maybe those ones I didn't give the same attention I would have if I'd been even par, but you know what, oh, yeah. I, uh, whatever. Yeah, but so at the dinner, so you said you were, oh, you yeah. know, you're feeling embarrassed. Yeah. You go to the dinner, a lot yeah. of friends, whatnot, a lot of memories there. Did you find that regardless of what you shot, people were still really wanted to engage, have fun, tell yep. stories, all that usual stuff that goes on? Did that did that happen? It didn't all, all that stuff that went on that would have gone on if I shot seventy six exactly. went on that I shot ninety six. In fact, I didn't even get very much. I don't know. Like most people, I don't think even barely mentioned it because we were all just guys sitting around. Had just we were all we talked about is what a great golf course it was, how tough some of those holes were, how amazing some shots were. You know, it's funny. All I thought about after was the four or five great shots I hit. Because I hit some really good shots. Just a few. But yeah. they were amazing. And uh, that's I decided that's what I'll think about. Yeah, well, that's the thing about golf is is that it's really, at the end of the day, yeah, we, you know, I want to play well as a player. And I want to shoot good numbers. I have a certain expectations for myself mm-hmm. uh, and hopes, just like all golfers. But at the end of the day, it's still about the experience and being with other people and having fun with them. Um, I tell a lot of golfers who, uh, you know, I, you ask a lot of, a lot of guys that when they played with their fathers, that they probably really tried to grind it to impress their dad and all their dad wanted. And this is kind of a good thing with, yeah, father's day is coming up. Yeah. The timing and everything, but your dad's just happy to play with you, which is, I'm going to connect to this, that your friends are just happy to be with you as a friend, enjoy you. Mm-hmm. They don't care what the hell you shot. And so I think there's some good learning in that, and that, that if we can just disidentify is I'm a good person when I shoot this or bad person that, no one freaking cares. Well, it's funny you say that because one of our listeners, uh, another guy introduced to you. Which again, you know, takes away time from me, but that's fine. I'll fix. Maybe I should get a new. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Brad Cholette is uh, an, a friend of ours and a fan of the show. He says, "Hey, I heard you uh, talking on the Humble and Fred show. Said you shot a 96. Wow, what a horrible person you are." <laughs> I love that. I said, yeah. I said, glad. He, oh, and he goes, oh, uh, can't uh, thank you and Tim enough for Swing Thoughts. It's a really great podcast. I've started working with Tim. I write him back. I go, funny. Glad you're working with Tim because he's really helped me <laughs> shoot 90 F and 6. Jokes. Where are we Just going jokes. today? So where are we going today? We're going to go to the Academy at Glen Abbey, and we're going to talk about why I hate myself. <laughs> Um, yeah, we're going to no. make sure there's no sharp objects around. Anyway, uh, it was a great takeaway for me and, um, you know, a good lesson in that. Again, I take nothing away from what I've been working on with ALF. I would, but, yeah, um, keep going, but I want to circle back to yeah, that just for a I was going to say, not taking nothing away from that, but maybe the, the lesson for me is that may not have been the best time to start dinking around with my golf swing, which... You know, which I shot 74 with, with a guy who said, I think I, you know, and, and I love everything we're working on. It's a pretty cool uh, thing that will eventually pay off. But in the short term, I've decided just to kind of, I had a lot of golf tournaments in the next couple of weeks to a month that are big, important tournaments to me, not, not anybody else. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to stay with what I have. Yeah, well, for the, the time being. Well, as your performance coach, no. I completely endorse that. What did you want to circle back at? Well, uh, just a little bit about when we're trying to incorporate new moves into our swing. We're basically working on short-term memory, right? And as as I said earlier, you've got. It's not that you've been swinging the golf club for fifty-six years, but you have a lot of patterns. Uh, a, the way you, you know, neurolinguistically, motor skill wise, these are patterns that are set, and to, and when they're only in your short term memory, uh, a new move, however right. minor it's going to be, it doesn't stand a chance in dealing with the pressure or when you're tired and those types of things. So, so don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying don't strive to improve. 
good players are always working on it, mm-hmm. but there is a cost, particularly when you get into tournaments when there's a little oh, bit yeah. more pressure. And we talked about it the other day. I think you you asked me um, about you know if you had advice to give people about uh, getting ready for Club C or something. Is that start to change your practice up so it's less about mechanics or block or block or rent or and move towards random practice and performance right and the closer you get to your event the more you're gonna it's the focus is on scoring on the range doing scoring games practice with consequence but moving towards trust so that you're so even if you in the times you when you trust it you're still not going to hit it sometimes that great but your chance of connecting with target allowing yourself to to hit shots that are going to be serviceable love that word that you'll play a lot better because you just that short-term memory thing and just trying to move work a new move in it's just really hard to do uh particularly well, I, if you have a life you i know and exactly what you said is uh you know, as a, as a tournament player, I can say this. Um, you know, there's, there there would be very few amateur golfers that would play more tournaments than me and Bondi and the guys that we play with. I can tell you that when that wiring gets interrupted and, you know, all of a sudden a guy like me that's a, you know, two or a one and a half handicap, I'm shooting 96 because none of my physical motions made any sense to me. And then... It was like I was all of a sudden an 18 handicapper where every once in a while the scratch swing would show up and I'd hit, you know, like a rip of five iron 185 into the wind to 20 feet. But then I'd three putt it because I was trying to figure out what I did right all the way to the green as opposed to going on. Oh, now I'm going to go try and sink this. But um, yeah, we're going to do some good work today. Yeah. I, thought the, I thought the show was good today. Yeah, well, I just I loved it. I love I love I, I love talking about the stuff that the real stuff that golfers actually think versus like, oh, what did you hit on 14? Yeah, because I know I know those t- those texts I sent you would represent what a lot of golfers feel inside and what they think, but don't necessarily say. Well, and I'm going to tell you, it really helped me. And I don't know if I would maybe I'd recommend this to somebody else, but to, even if you had nobody to text that to, to text it to yourself, because it did make me feel better that at least I, I was expressing myself in a constructive way. Versus losing my mind. Yeah, but you also you you mentioned also like journaling. Didn't you mention the word yeah. journal in there? Really, I mean, uh, so I'm a writer. That's a key piece of what I do. But when we start to journal and get we get mm-hmm. tap into our subconscious. So not to get no, absolutely. Know, you get, get to get know whatever what you, you really want to get and record it, and then you get to look at it. Yep. But sometimes we get lost in when we're getting home, get home and forget the things that really went on, and it's the bigger moments. But this is really <laughs> you have fun with it. Too. I just read something I wrote too. Uh, we're, we were talking about scheduling the show. Uh, what we're going to do? Could we tape today? Could we tape another day? And I go, uh, no, no worries. I, you know, I said, well, this was at like six or two minutes to seven o'clock in the morning. A few people don't know the, the Humble and Fred show that I host. We go live at 7 a.m. And so here's 658 going, blah, blah, blah. Well, I said, well, I've got to start my other show now. Talk to you soon. Effing Bondi. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, listen, kids, thanks very much for listening. It's Swing Thoughts on Facebook. Subscribe to us on uh, Twitter, O'ConnorGolf.ca, Humble and Fred Show, uh, HumbleandFredRadio.com. Subscribe to, uh, you can get us on SiriusXM, Channel 168, and on the SiriusXM app. All right. Whew. See you, folks. I don't think people realize it's like 11.05 in the morning while we tape the end of this program. I've been sitting in this chair talking for five solid hours. Yeah, I get it. But do you feel better now having unleashed all that stuff that was down in Oh, I haven't even got into last night's round where I felt so sorry for myself. I'm like, hey, I can't make a bar. I mean, I can't make a birdie. All I make is bogeys. But I'm listening. Here. I shot 80 last night. I wanted to punch myself in the face. Anyway, it'll, it's fine. It's fine. It's You're coming. You okay? You're okay? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm okay-ish. Ish. All right, kids. We'll talk to you uh, soon on uh, the Swing Thoughts Radio Network.